Welcome to the Green Zone Podcast, the show that teaches oil and gas executives how to take command of their finances and live in the green. Your host, Jeff Green, from Green Financial Group, will be your financial guide, all while giving you a tour of the most beloved and best-kept secret spots around Houston, Texas. Now, on to the show. Marriage is a wonderful thing, until it isn't. And money is often a point of contention. Dr. John Vincent is a psychologist and marriage and family therapist who, among other things, helps young couples identify their strengths and weaknesses so they can work through issues. Now, he is with Jeff Green and Lauren Smith to talk about the money conversations couples of all ages should not ignore. Thank you, Patrice. Hey, Dr. Vincent, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing today? I am great. Thank you. So oh, let me say, I'll tell you this. I'll start out with this. You know, obviously we're in the, we're financial planners, advisors, whatever you want to call us. Sure. And we sit in a conference room with couples all the time. And oftentimes I feel like I have to play psychiatrist, psychologist. I mean, do, would, you I mean, do. I mean, in, in dealing with money, especially, it's such a deeply personal, deeply emotional. We've had clients cry in meetings just trying to make decisions. Yes, it I mean, it's a deeply emotional yeah. decision. And we find oftentimes that the husband and the wife often have very different feelings about money and how to invest it and what to do, et cetera. So I'm glad you're here. Thank you. you could, maybe you can help me. <laughs> But so tell us a little bit about your background, just, just a little bit, and then jump into like, why is this such a big deal? Why is it, why is it hard for couples to, you know, I mean, I understand, I mean, I was married, right? So, you know, I, I get that there's differences and things, but money seems to be like one of the number one things it's right, right up, right up there. Yeah. Go ahead, doc. Thanks. Money, sex, and kids. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been here in Houston for uh, for forever. Uh, I have both teach at the university uh, where I run our doctoral program in clinical psychology. So I'm kind of an academic as well as a practicing therapist. So I do a lot of work with couples and families and money issues are among the most common for a lot of reasons, uh, partly because you get two people together and we just differ in a lot of different ways. Um, probably number one is just the level of so-called fiscal literacy, how smart people are about money, how much they know about it. And uh, if you have two people, you can expect that they will be somewhat different on that dimension. So that's that, that's a biggie. And there's a lot of other differences that we see, you know, how kind of uh, frugal versus extravagant somebody is, how comfortable people are with debt, uh, how much risk tolerance they have for investments. Uh, you know, whether they're planners or whether they're much more spur of the moment. Uh, those are all things where if you have two different people who are together, who don't see eye to eye on things, uh, that can potentially generate a lot of conflict. And that's what I end up dealing with. with right. Us too, by the way, you mentioned money, sex, and kids. It's That's the order too. That's that's the right order. But I, I want to, so here's a, a common issue that I see a lot, Lauren, I think you'll agree. We deal, our clients are typically... A, a little bit older. I mean, they're not, the, not old, they're but the retirement phase. they're in the, there's, it's a different generation. The reason, the reason I bring up the age thing is retires, they're, they're retired around 60, 65. That generation, you know, you've, the husband has worked 35 years or so in his career. The sometimes wife, the spouse, the wife has also. Sometimes, but more often than not, I find the, the spouse may have worked but she does not know the financial situation of her spouse. I see that time and time again. And, you know, it's this, it's, you know, 
I won't say a revelation, but like they're realizing, okay, we have all of these assets. We have this huge portfolio and now they have to start like they're no longer working long and hard for their money, but now their money has to work long and hard for them. So they have very different feelings. How do you, how do you, how do you approach that with a couple? How do you, how do you get them to, to work on that and work that out? Great question. Uh, and not an easy one to answer. Uh, part of it is that you have to be able to sit down and have two people talk about kind of what's important to them. What are their goals? What do they want to do? Uh, obviously, if we're talking about retirement, uh, you know, the issue of how you spend your time, and if we're going to relocate, uh, you're going to want to spend a lot of time traveling. And I think the transition to retirement, just in general, more so for men than for women, can be itself very traumatic, partly because guys don't know what to do with themselves. Yeah. I've seen that many, many times with uh, guys as they retire, they're uh, kind of at loose ends and they don't know how to spend their time. You know, how many, how many rounds of golf can you do? Yeah, we get that a lot. We, we get that a lot. I mean, you, you find the men often had defined themselves by their careers and then yes. when they're no longer working, they lose the definition of themselves. And uh, we coach, we coach on that as well, but go ahead. Big issue. And obviously when it comes to money management, the question of, of again, what are you going to do with that time? And, how are you going to spend your money and what do you, you know, you're going to travel, you're going to again relocate, you're going to move closer to the grandkids, you're going to get a vacation home, a, you know, a car, a boat, whatever. And uh, you got two people, two very different ideas about what makes sense. And that can generate conflict, which is where I come in. How to help people talk about that in ways that they can come up with a plan that both people can live with and move on from. So for our listeners, and for your listeners and, you know, for mine and Lauren's benefit to help, how, how do you suggest couples approach this? What Are there any things that when, the, you know, when a, when a couple comes to see you, is there anything that you send them off with, you know, like things to work on or practice with? It's a little homework, maybe. And is it, and is it stuff that they should be doing from the day they get married? Or is it stuff that they should focus on more, you know, as transitions happen in life, new kids come, uh, retirement? Should it be, you know, is it? kind of situational or is it from the beginning these conversations need to be had? Ideally, they have started a long time ago and there's a, a understanding about who each person is, their, the way they make decisions, they have a common set of goals and they can then tweak that, of course, across the lifespan. And you know, if, if you're waiting until you're about to retire to begin those conversations, it, it's almost too late because a lot of the, the, the differences are probably never been sort of adequately worked out in, in the first place. So ideally you have this stuff hammered out uh, from the get-go and you kind of learn about how to money manage money. You, you get a financial planner that you can trust and work with that help advise you through the process and uh, figure out all the kind of short-term and long-term decisions that we all have to struggle with. And I think uh, the earlier, the better. And that's probably true of anything in relation to money. The earlier you start investing, the better. You don't want to wait until you're 55 or 60 and say, oh, gosh, I think I maybe need to get a retirement plan. That's a little late in the game. Well, I mean, so, you know, a lot of our clients' wealth and portfolio is in the, the majority, oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes with, the, again, the generation that I'm speaking of. And I'm, I mentioned the generation because, Lauren, your generation, the millennials are very different you know, the, the husband and the wife are very much more, I think, a partnership 
and not that I'm not trying to suggest that it's otherwise here. I'm just saying the dynamic of money in the relationship is different in a 65 year old than it is a 35 year old is very different that I, I know. Okay. Yes, so the doc even agrees with that. So great. So what I'm, what I see a lot is that the male who has worked 35 years, been the provider for his family while the wife has stayed home, made a home, raised the kids, made a family. He's his 401k. In other words, it's all in his 401k and his pension of which he alone really has managed, right? And the company has contributed, blah, blah, blah. So the wife really has not a part of it to, to some degree. But I think a part of that also is they haven't had access to it. So this money's been, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah that's money, right. Yeah. Even, even the breadwinner of the family does, has not had access to this money yet. Correct, so then retirement right. time comes and really not only the husband, but the wife is now you know, they have $4 million in the bank or, you know, multiple million dollars in the bank that was before this untouchable object. And now it's here available for them to use. I mean, do you see that doc? What do you see out there? Absolutely. And I think the, the challenge is that couples avoid discussions about money. And I think the more often you can have that just sort of an ongoing dialogue, you know, where are we? Where do things stand? Let's sort of think about what decisions we need to make. Let's check in and see how our, how our spending maps onto our goals. And I think those are conversations when they've occurred, heads off a lot of the conflict we're talking about. When those conversations haven't happened, which is probably more often the case than not, then you end up having to teach people how to talk about money and how to make sense and, of it. And that's really a, a bigger And thing. how would you suggest, so let's say someone has not talked about this for years and years. How would you, what advice do you give? How, what do you say to somebody who needs to ha start having that conversation, but they're finding it difficult to start that conversation? The first thing is to kind of sit down and just take a look at what you got and uh, look at the, the assets, uh, look at kind of where the expenses go and basically start with information. If you don't have information, if both people aren't privy to the same fact base, then you can't really figure out how to make decisions. I think for most people, you know, there's certain chunks of our money that are really just set aside that we, you know, you have to pay mortgages. There are kind of ongoing expenses that are essentially non-discretionary. The places where we have choices, where there's money left over, then you can start talking about what to do with that. But I think you have to start with uh, information. Let's take a look at where we are. Let's take a look at you know, kind of our holdings. Let's take a look at our expenses. Let's take a look at our debt uh, and start off with those facts and then start to get down to the, all right, now what decisions do we need to make going forward? That's interesting. What So what's one of the most common things that you see with couples? By, by the way, do you do you counsel couples in all areas of life or just finance? All, all over, over the board. board. Money being only one of okay, many so things. Well, <laughs> I know it can get deep, so yeah, we'll stick we'll to stick the finances. Money. What do you see? What's the most common financial difficulty that couples have right now that you see? Um, I think that one of the biggest ones is that they don't really have a good idea of where they're going. There's no blueprint and they haven't really sat down and figured out, you know, let's get a plan that we can then you know, think about what our, what we want to do with our money, what our goals are. And I think for most of the things that matter, you can't sort of have instant gratification. Uh, you need to plan ahead. You need to figure out, uh, you know, a, a kind of way of, of getting you know, money put aside to go ahead and accomplish certain kinds of objectives. But the avoidance of talking about it, I think, is probably number one. They just sort of go on, you know, everybody doing their own thing, and the occasional bicker here and there. But uh, there's no real concerted effort to say, where are we? Where are we going? How do we get there? Now you're talking our language, yeah, Doc. Yeah, sounds like you've been listening to our podcast. <laughs>
Everybody needs, I'm the big, <laughs> well, I'm it's, the big it's, promoter that everybody needs true. a plan. Yeah, you really do. And I don't think people really understand the importance of it. Lauren really does harp on it a lot. And it's good to hear you say that, Doc. That wasn't, we didn't, we didn't pay you to say that or anything, but that, that was really, it is right. good to hear you say that because you know, give you my tax ID number to make sure we get it in the right account. Yeah, the right account. But we harp on that, and it's good to hear that somebody in, a, in, a, in an unrelated field, but talking about our field, feels the same way about that as well. Because I, I, it's truly, I mean, right? If you're on a journey, you know, with no, what's that saying? If you're, uh, you're goal without a plan is just a dream. Yeah, something like that. that. That's good enough. <laughs> Or a nightmare, depending on how that. I was going to say, if you didn't have a map, like you're going, no, I don't know. There's some kind of saying. Somebody knows it out there. Send me an email. Let me know what it is. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't sound as good as mine. Yeah, yours is better. I have a question with couples that just have very conflicting, conflicting views on money. I'm a spender. I yes. like to spend extravagantly. I probably don't save as much as I should. I, I, I would 100% I agree with that. I yeah. don't practice what I preach and really, you know, stick to the plan that I should be putting for myself. But can someone that is a spender like that and likes to live extravagantly and likes experiences and nice things, can they fit with someone that's much more conservative? Yeah, can people? How, how do you balance that out? That's what you're asking. Yeah, yeah. can that? Can you balance that? Is there, or is one side always going to resent the other for not? you know, understanding where they're coming from. Well, I think you have to come up with, with something that both people can live with. And obviously the spender is going to have to put some reins on that uh, so that there's a little bit of uh, kind of acknowledgement that the other person is going to get you know, really, really upset if there's extravagant spending that doesn't make any sense. You know, and, and I think, you know, I, I hate the, the kind of use of the word compromise because I think it is overused. But the fact is when it comes to money, at some point, you have to make a decision about what you're going to do that both people can live with. And that means you got to give on both sides. The more frugal person is going to have to kind of relinquish their control a bit. The more kind of spendy person is going to have to uh, be willing to delay gratification and be able to think more sensibly about what kind of bang for the buck am I getting out of the money I'm spending? And does that really make any sense? And I think to slow that down and at least have conversations about it, and yes, I think that's one of the fundamental differences around which couples uh, will, will tend to argue. And I think we're all somewhere on that continuum. I was going to say, if you're if far ends of that continuum, it just makes much more complex. Yeah. That's the problem. Let me ask you, do you have a real world example? Obviously, you know, exclude the names for to protect the innocent. But so a kind of example that you can give the listeners of something like that. And then the advice that you gave them, a tool or tip that they could use to work on that right. problem? I can in a, in, in a generic kind of way. And I think you have to start with the spender, no offense, Lauren, but I think the idea of sort of where is the money going? And you, you sort of ask some fundamental questions about that. Uh, one of the things that we know about spending is that we operate under this interesting assumption called affective forecasting. If I have this certain thing, it's going to make me feel wonderful. That's really the logic. I can agree to that. You know, if I go out and buy the this, this fancy new car, go get this, you know, incredibly, you know, this the latest, you know, fashion item or whatever that, you know, my life is going to be wonderful. And I think the thing that we know about research in that area is that in point of fact, those things generally don't last. <laughs> whatever that emotional high is, it's generally pretty short lived. And I think once I'm giggling, I'm giggling, Doc, it, because for Lauren, it's like it's purses. I mean, she, her, Let him finish. All right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go He's ahead. talking about me. You've been talking to my wife. <laughs> 
uh, purses are one of the uh, interesting things that I think they get a lot of difference between men and women about the value of a purse. Two hundred dollar purse with a five yeah, thousand five, five grand. I saw one the other day. Uh, I won't say a thirty thousand dollar purse. Let's just say somebody that we saw had a thirty thousand dollar purse that I had. I would. Oh, yeah, look, that's disgusting. That's, that's, a, that's a different. I, I didn't know a purse could cost thirty. That's a car. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I'm okay, I'm sorry, Doc. Please I was continue. We'll quit. We'll quit. We'll 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 I was interested in what he was saying. Are you really? Are you really kind of getting that emotional? Kind of gratification out of this out of this spending and i think most of us you know as we kind of live life we recognize that those emotional reactions to something that's new and shiny is relatively short-lived and if that's the case then you start looking about well, what are the things that i get that really have sustained their value for me and i think for all of us there are things like that and i think part of the deal is to have that conversation with yourself about my fooling myself into kind of indulging in extravagance that really don't, I don't get much out of. Uh, and I think that's a place to start, or at least the high, if you will, is very, very short lived. And I think that's a place to start. I think for the more frugal side of the person, you know, it's really how to, I think often they grow up in families where there's been a lot of rules around money and a lot of control around money. And I think to be able to relax about money and enjoy it uh, can be actually a very important thing that's also worked. And I think this idea that you can't, on occasion, take care of yourself in some fashion or indulge in some extravagance is something that the frugal person also needs to learn how to do. So I think both sides of the equation, you know, need, need some work. Yeah, good stuff, Doc. Yeah. Any other advice you have for the listeners just in general about money, starting with a plan or what would you what would, Start with the plan. Uh, you know, I mean, th there's obviously you want to put your money to work. Uh, that's one of the goals that uh, I think is important. That I, th I think the idea of spending every penny you have on just the day-to-days and the, the things that you're dealing with is really extraordinarily short-sighted. And I'm sure the people who retire and have done that are not in the best of spot. So I think you have to put your money to work. I think you have to be very cautious about use of credit. And I think especially a lot of young couples uh, who really want to have a lot of things quickly are more than happy to kind of buy it on time, which I think is a real trap. And I think uh, you have to be very careful in managing how much debt you have. And I think I tell my kids all the time, never carry over a credit card balance uh, month to month. That's another important like that. Uh, sort of rule. Also important that young couples in particular uh, develop, you know, build a cash reserve so that if emergencies come along, they don't have to charge it. They can actually dip into this emergency cash fund. It takes a while to build those, but uh, I think that's a very important goal that ideally a couple can have. And that takes some of the, the bumps out of the equation when you know some unexpected car repair or your AC goes out or there's some you know, big medical expense that you were anticipating comes along and you don't have to therefore charge it, which I think then is often where debt gets started some of those big ticket items that you didn't anticipate. So that's another just bit of advice that uh, I give couples all the time. So you, you mentioned kids. Let me, let me switch gears for just a minute. Uh, Cause I got, I got three boys, one coming right, coming out of college, one going in and a junior in high school. What would, you know, I'm not sure they even really know what I do to be honest with you. <laughs> I've tried explaining it to them, but I'm not really sure they get it. I think my oldest does. I think he actually wants to come in to the industry to some degree, but what, you know, I, and of course I've talked to my kids about money all the time, but you got, give me your top three words of wisdom or advice tips for 
young people and coming in, maybe going into college or coming out of college? What would you tell them? Just to get them set up for the world? Yeah. Right. Get set up for the world. That, that is a terrific idea. Uh, and, and one of it really has to do with kind of figuring out a way to just track your expenses. Where are you spending your money? Are you, again, getting out of that spending what you really want? And I think, again, most kids in particular are very short-term gratification oriented and often fail to realize the consequences of making bad financial choices early on. And again, this dovetail with the fact that credit card companies are more than happy to hand out credit cards to kids all the time in the hopes that they will uh, become, shall we say, forever indebted. (laughs) That's right. So I think that's something else to watch out for. Uh, Basically, you know, to start thinking about, uh, again, what matters and uh, taking a look at uh, where your money's actually going. I have the same conversation with my kids. Uh, One's in college, one's in medical school, and uh, they're sort of trying to figure this stuff out right now as well. And it's my son in particular, he has been surprised how expensive it is to live. And uh, it's been a, it's been a good yeah. lesson. But no, that was great. But thank you. I mean, it's really hard, you know, to teach kids about money. You know, I, and I'm really part of the problem. I'm not really a part of the solution. I, you know, I, 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 tell you I, that, think, I tell you that all the time. I know. It is, and I, I give my kids too much, to be honest with you. I do. And uh, and really? yeah, so and I, I at least I recognize I'm, I'm the problem. That's the, the first step, right? Right. But so my concern for my boys anyway is, you know, I have provided, I think, too much. I haven't made them work enough for it. And they come to, I guess, expect certain things, but I've always had in my mind, okay, well, when you graduate college, bud, you're on your own. I mean, I'm, I'm going to hear, I'm going to help out with maybe car insurance, phone. So, so, so for a little while, but at some point, if you want to live the lifestyle that you lived growing up, you're going to have to go earn that. And I'm not sure that that has resonated. <laughs> do you see that? Am Mike. I an idiot or do you, do you see that from other people too? Oh, no, you're not an idiot at all. And I think generally if kids have been lucky enough to grow up in families where there's a certain degree of affluence, they're used to a lifestyle and they kind of figure that as normal. Having to pay the bills themselves, it's like, oh, gosh, I just went out with my girlfriend on this really expensive date and we dropped a couple of hundred bucks for dinner. I don't have a couple of hundred bucks. I don't have money for gas. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So I think there's some uh, kind of painful uh, rude awakenings that often occur with kids when they start to then assume more of the responsibility of their own money management. Uh, but it's a big issue. And I, I again, I, I don't think we do a very good job teaching our kids fiscal literacy. I think that's a gigantic problem in our education system. I think kids don't have an opportunity to understand how important it is to learn how to money manage yeah. money effectively. Well, they should teach us how to balance a checkbook. I know, and, I mean, like I simple things like that aren't ever discussed. No. Paying taxes. Yeah. I mean. Paying taxes. Right, Mary. All the Doc, this has been great. Yeah, this has been really interesting. How, how, uh, how do the people get in touch with you? Basically, website, uh, jvincent at uh.edu. That's my website uh, and my phone number, uh, area code 713-790-1330. I'm in Houston Tech and enjoy working with couples and families and enjoy helping people solve problems, which is what this represents is a problem to be solved. Awesome. And it is solved. He's a problem That's solver. Awesome. We, we call ourselves problem solvers too. Hey, Doc, thank you so much. I'm assuming you do in-person and or Zoom meetings? Both. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, this was great. Thanks for, thanks for uh, dropping by and uh, chatting with us. Awesome. Good talking with you both. All right. You too. Patrice, take it away.
All right, that was Dr. John Vincent with Jeff Green and Lauren Smith of Green Financial Group. Follow this podcast so you don't miss any show and let your friends and family know you listen by sharing with them. Thank you for listening to the Green Zone podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Green Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Securities offered through Raymond James Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors, Inc. Green Financial Group is not a registered broker or dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services. Jeff Green is the founder of Green Financial Group and is a registered principal of RJFS. The Green Financial Group is located at 6363 Woodway Drive, Suite 625, Houston, Texas, 77057 and can be reached at 713-244-3030. Raymond James is not affiliated with and does not endorse the opinions or services of his guests.